been in this series with the big question mark in the background called Life's Ultimate Questions. And we've asked several, and last week, uh, Brother Ben uh, preached on, Am I a Sinner? And uh, I, I didn't catch it. He probably told you the joke that he's not, uh, but that everybody else is. And um, it, we're all sinners, right, except for Jesus Christ. The only one ever born on this earth that is sinless was Jesus. But this week, we, we take that question and we kind of jump a little bit further to say, you know, I've been dealing with this issue. Maybe I, I've never trusted Jesus, uh, and, and I've never really wanted to admit that I'm a sinner because that sounds so bad. But I, I've kind of just wrestled with this. And if I'm a sinner, what do I do now? If I've come to that place where I've decided, you know what, I need to do something about this. I don't like where my life is. I don't like what I'm doing. I know that there's something not right between me and God. What do I do now? And to answer that, we've got this little outline that's very simple. Uh, it's where do I go from here? You're going to go to one of two places when you die. This is for everybody. You're going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. Your soul goes somewhere when you die. There is no arguing or doubting that. Uh, but here's this idea. Uh, if it's hell... We don't want anybody to go to hell. God takes no delight in even the death of the wicked, scriptures say. But we want to look at this fact that hell is factual, fearful, final, and fair. And a lot of people will get hung up on that last point saying, how can eternal hell, an eternal place of punishment, be fair? And then we ask the question, can religion help? And when I ask that question, I'm not talking about... Uh, uh, salvation in this sense. I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus. Not just rituals, not just incense, not just saying a Hail Mary or uh, seeing a priest or worshiping at a stone altar or anything else. Uh, there's lots of religion in the world. We want you to know about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the, the things that religion cannot do, it cannot satisfy God, it cannot remove sin, and it can't change our sinful nature. And so we're just going to jump right in. We, we've said that Brother Ben spoke last week about being a sinner, uh, and there, I heard that there was a joke about snuff too, okay? So I need to go back and research that a little bit, all right? Um, there comes a moment when we must all deal with the fact that we are sinful from birth. Man, I held my baby one day, uh, Sperry, and then uh, about 15, well, 15 months later I held the other one, Declan, and I thought, man, they're perfect, you know? Flash forward, Sperry's four and a half, and Declan's three something and the, their sin nature is evident okay um, and it only gets worse for any of us right um, and here's the deal those babies are precious those babies are innocent I'm not saying that they're not uh, but uh, there is within every one of us from birth a sin nature that continues to devolve uh, the older we get and uh, there's nothing that a person can do to escape that and so um, we, we look at this idea, uh, there has to be some time that we recognize that from birth we're sinful, that we reach an age of accountability where we realize our choices, our thoughts, our deeds, that they're not righteous, and that we have to do something about the sin nature that's going to condemn us mind, body, and soul. And so, since this is a reality for every human being that's ever been born except for Jesus, we have to ask these serious eternal questions. Now, people don't like to talk about hell. I get it. And some people are like, man, it's a hell message. Yes, I've been waiting for one of these. Super Bowl Sunday, hell message, this is the best day ever. But uh, we have to realize, uh, some people are excited about hell messages, all right? Um, because we ain't going there. That's probably the main thing. But we're cognizant of the fact that we're all dead in our trespasses and sin. And therefore, the Bible calls us, Jesus calls us himself, enemies of God. 
apart from Jesus, you ain't God's friend, all right? He loves you, and he wants better for you, but you're an enemy, a trespasser. And so I don't know who wrote this, but I, I was sent this, and I love it. My friend, it says, God is a gentleman, and he'll never force you to move into a place you do not want to be. Since he cares for you so much, he desires that you walk in complete liberty, and he respects your boundaries, even if that means you do not experience his best. While God is pleased when you exercise bold and courageous faith, he will not withhold himself if you try and play it safe. You might not know the thrill of unfettered surrender or the exhilaration that comes from seeing him do the impossible through your undaunted trust. Though he has given you every reason to lose your life for his sake, he is long-suffering. He's patient, compassionate, and abounding in goodness. Your Savior understands the journey, and he'll take care of you even as he knocks on the door of your heart and woos you with the wonders of his love. In other words, if you choose not to accept his love and not to accept his son, to not believe in him or obey him or want him, God will respect your choice and give that to you for all eternity. And we have to be careful with that. Um, I would say this, guys, and I know it's not common, and the larger a church gets, the less common it is to respond at the place you are to the Holy Spirit. But man, if you're broken in the middle of this service, you know what? You come up to the front. Uh, we can finish the message. We can sing songs. But if your soul is in peril and you know that you're lost and you need to be up here, you don't wait. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. You just come. Um, and if you want, if, if today's the day you need to be saved and you want to be baptized right now, give us about 30, 40 minutes. We'll, we'll fill up the baptistry. It might be cold, but we'll jump in there too, okay? You don't let anything stop you from doing the things that you need to with the Lord. The first question we ask when we say, what do I do now, is where do I go from here? Now, I, I recognize that there's some mess in my life, uh, that I've not been living for the Lord, that I, I don't really know Jesus, I don't know what to do. What, uh, where do I go from this point? And there are so many theories about what happens to us when we die. Uh, some believe that nothing happens, that this theory of annihilation, that we just cease to be, that, uh, boy, what a, what a, what a, awful way to live, to think that I endure this life and then there's nothing going to happen next, you know, nothing hopeful for good, uh, no consequence for bad. But uh, some people believe that everyone goes to heaven. These people are called universalists. There's a preacher named Rob, jeez, uh, Rob Bell, um, that uh, has written a lot of books. And Rob Bell is a universalist. He believes that uh, everyone eventually will go to heaven. All right, that uh, even if you have to spend your time in time out, in hell, uh, that eventually God will purify and purge and everybody will wind up in heaven. That's, that's a lie from Satan, okay? Satan wants you to believe that so that you can live however you want to. And once you get to hell, you'll realize that it's a one-way street there. There's no escape from it. Uh, there are others who believe in purgatory where sinful souls are in a waiting chamber being prepared for heaven. But the Bible says nothing at all about any of that stuff being true. Instead, we look at actual Bible passages, the actual Word of God, in verses like Hebrews 9, 27. And it says, just as is it appointed or destined for man to die once, after that comes judgment. Every one of us, unless Jesus comes to take us back first, will die. 
Uh, we don't like that reality, but it's true. That's part of the sin nature. May Adam and Eve weren't created with a, a nature that was going to lead to death, but the curse of sin brought death into the world and into the picture. Only those who are in a right relationship with God, that's only those who have believed in faith, uh, by faith in Jesus Christ, will be welcomed into eternity, into God's presence, once this life is over. Everyone else will be punished with an everlasting destruction. They'll be separated from the Lord's presence, His glory, His majesty, in a very real place called hell. I have a couple of slides here with a passage from 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 5 through 12. And I want you to listen to this, okay? Really focus on this. It says, I didn't realize that I'm standing in all red either, okay? <laughs> okay, I should have just got a goatee today. Um, all this is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment. What's he talking about? Um, he, he, he's really talking in that moment about, man, Christians are being persecuted and suffering for the sake of Jesus, okay? And that kind of frames this. He says, so you will be counted worthy, child of God, worthy of the kingdom of God, for which right now you're suffering in this life. For after all, it's only right for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Remember, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay that's God's work. He says, and to grant relief to you who are oppressed and to us as well. Paul and the apostles are talking about the work of God that they're doing. He said, this is all going to take place when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in blazing fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, that is, who have chosen not to know God, and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the penalty, the punishment of eternal destruction, separated from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His might when He comes to be glorified among His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Wherefore, we keep on praying for you always, asking our God to count you worthy or to enable you to live a life worthy of His high calling. May God powerfully fulfill you to accomplish all the good desires and the works your faith prompts you to do, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot in that, guys. But uh, the reality of it is that a, a, a punishment is coming for those who deny and forsake and hate Jesus. Hell is real. The Bible speaks plainly, clearly, and frequently about this place of hell. And I want to look at you with you real quick at these uh, four important truths about hell to remember. First of all, hell is factual. Um, you know, we can't drill down into the earth and, and say, man, I finally found hell. It's down there. I remember I was probably about five years old, and I remember we, we lived in Hackett, Arkansas. Uh, we lived on Old Sunshine Mine, which is a mine opening down there. I remember my parents having it closed in so that my brother and I wouldn't fall in there. I remember just some weird things about that place, like uh, rocks that were chiseled in with names and stuff because there had been a mine collapse there years and years ago. And uh, it was kind of a creepy place for a couple of little kids who liked to roam and run through the woods and stuff. And uh, I remember of all of that, one day I was always looking out, you know, kind of cautious, but I had a shovel and I decided I was going to dig a hole. And I don't know what the hole was for, but it was by my play set. And I remember digging and digging and digging and I dug, and I hit something, and it was a spark. And I threw the shovel down and ran inside, and I told my mom I'd found hell. 
And she said, honey, that's not, that can't happen. You know, but I was convinced that I'd hit hell, you know, and um, it's not a place that we can physically dig into, right? It's not a place that science is going to say, yes, this is hell. We found evidence of some of Satan's toenails or something, you know, like nobody's going to see that stuff. But nonetheless, if we believe that the word of God is true, we also believe that God is true and that when he talks about this place, that he's not joking. It's not something invented by the church to scare us to make the right way. Catholic Church, especially in the, the, the Middle Ages and times, was very guilty of trying to scare people into doing things that they wanted done. Protestant Church has been guilty of doing that as well, but the church didn't invent hell. Instead, it's a place that was created by God for when Lucifer fell and became Satan. It's the abode of Satan himself. The Bible speaks more about hell, I know you've heard this, than it does about heaven. Scripture goes on and on about its reality. People apart from the saving grace of Jesus will be condemned to hell and thrown into hell. And those are the words of Jesus. Read Matthew 5, Matthew 23. It's all throughout the Gospels. Secondly, hell is fearful. The Word of God describes hell as a place of torment, a fiery furnace, a place of everlasting burning and unquenchable fire. Horrible place. It's a place of never-ending suffering with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says that in Matthew 22, verse 13. Revelation 14, 11 says there's no rest there, day or night. It's terrible but true reality that those in hell are cut off from all good, accursed by God himself, banished from even the smallest bit of comfort or help. This is because the saddest reality of all is that hell is a place every man or woman could have avoided. And I think you're cognizant of that fact for eternity. I didn't have to be here. I believe that there's a constant awareness of the absence of God's presence and what could have been as people are separated from God forever. Hell is final. The Bible warns us in Matthew 7, 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the, the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. It's a lot easier to go into the narrow gate and follow the herd, follow the crowd, do what feels right, do what looks good, and, and, and do whatever we want to. It's a lot easier to go in that way. But that's the way that leads to death and destruction. Heaven is a choice, absolutely, and so is hell. You do not have to go to hell if you can hear this today. There's no exit no reprieve once this life is over. You don't get to stand in the presence of God. You're dead and beg and plead your case. There's not scale standing up there that God says, hold on, let me measure your life. We're going to replay it here. Okay, one, two, three, you did 452 good things, and you only did 450 bad things. Come on in. It doesn't work that way. If you remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, uh, Abraham, speaking to the rich man, says, And besides all this, between us and you there's a great gulf, a great chasm fixed by God, so that those who would want to pass from here to you, no one would, cannot, and for those from there cannot pass to us. There is such literal loneliness and agony in hell. And hell wasn't made just to purify us so that we'd have all the bad burned out of us and that we'd get to finally go to heaven one day. It's not a place of purification. It's a place of punishment. Hell is fair. And I know we lose folks on this. 
And guys, I think you'll struggle with this even more if you don't believe that the Word of God is real and true. If you don't believe that the Word of God is the everlasting Word of God. And don't argue about translations because if, if, there's so much to say about translation. But I'll tell you what, if you go back to all of the original Hebrew and all of the original Koine Greek that we have, that we base all of our translations on, whether they're in German, the Queen's English, uh, Latin, modern English, Chinese, whatever, the Word of God has said that God is a holy and righteous God. No matter where you read that, He is just. God has told us that He'll judge the world with perfect justice in Acts 17, 31. So he's perfectly just in sending sinners to hell. Listen, if I made this phone, this is a terrible analogy. If I created this, I wouldn't be here, okay? Uh, teasing. If I created this phone and it was my technology and my proprietary knowledge and, and um, all of my ideas and design and I made it, I would have the right to sell this. I would have the right to destroy this. I would have the right to keep it to myself. I could do anything I wanted to. Now, in a very poor example with that inanimate object, we look at this and you exist solely because God created you and loves you. You're His. He can do with you whatever He wants. He didn't have to send His Son. We could have all remained separated from Him, and there could be no possibility of heaven for anybody. He could have done that. But out of His great love for you and I, He chose to make a way. And He said, the way is through Jesus. No one may come to the Father except through Jesus Christ, the Son. Jesus said Himself, I'm the way to God. I'm the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And so here's this idea when we think hell is so unfair. God is giving sinners what they have chosen. To reject God here in this life is to reject God in the life to come. The ones today who mock and ridicule, who spite and hate and disbelieve God, the ones who have chosen to live ungodly lives, God is confirming their choices and their decisions. He's saying, if that's what you want, I don't want you to have it. I'm going to offer you chance after chance still, but there's coming a time when the mercy and the grace aren't an option for you. God can hardly be accused of injustice or unfairness, especially when he sacrificed so much. And he's offered so many times love and peace to every one of us. None of us are without warning. None of us are without excuse. And none of us are without consequence for this decision. Matthew 23, 33. Jesus speaking to the scribes and Pharisees. He asks them. He says, you serpents. You brood of vipers. How will you escape? Look at the phrase. The sentence of hell. Fair God who's the great judge, makes a sentence and a ruling, guilty, not guilty. You're always offered pardon in this courtroom when Jesus Christ will stand up and say, I'll be your advocate. I'll take your place. Even though you're guilty, I'll stand in your place. Who would not accept that? I, I, I'm guilty. I know I'm guilty. I'm going to be sentenced. It's a life sentence. And somebody steps up and says, hey, I'll take his place. What? Who are you? Why would you do that? And he says, take me instead. 
and he takes our place. Who would not accept that? And yet Jesus does it and offers it to everyone that he ever had a hand in helping to create. Guys, it's worth thinking about this morning. Because hell is factual, it's fearful, it's final, and it's a fair consequence for those who forsake God through Jesus. How will you escape the sentence of hell? Second question is, can religion help? Where'd that come from? <laughs> First of all, religion is different. And this is my understanding of it, okay? I've used the word religion a lot. You have too. Religion is not a relationship with God through Jesus. They're different animals. And man has rightly been called a religious animal. I think there's an innate desire for every man, woman, boy, and girl to worship something, to go after something, to give it their time and their energy, their heart and their love, to do their best for it. That's worship. There are hundreds of ways that humanity has sought to reach nirvana, to reach peace, to fulfill these religious longings and feelings. There has long existed, ever since the creation of man, a false worship of the sun, the moon, the stars, earth, fire, idols made of water, wood, of, of metal. There has always been an attempt to placate these false deities or to worship these false deities that exist in the forms of fish, birds, cows, cats, and other animals. I was in India. Uh, I was in Delhi, in Agra, spent about 10 days there and I learned a lot we were there to go from school to school because there's a great Christian movement flowing through India and I've probably shared this before but in in the middle of so much pagan worship so much monotheism so much idolatry and and and, and evil there are still men and women who are going to school, and they'll go to the school for years and years to become missionaries to their brothers and sisters who are trapped in Hinduism or whatever other belief they have there. And in this, guys, when these people graduate, and you're, gonna, you're talking about the poorest place I've ever been. I, I've never been to a place that was so overcrowded and, and impoverished. And when they graduate, they're given a bicycle and a Bible. <laughs> And they're told to go out and make disciples. I can't imagine that here. But in, in India, one of the animals that, a lot of the places we went were vegetarian, and one of the animals that roamed around in the city streets and in the dumps and everywhere else were cows. And they worship cows. They believe in reincarnation, that if you're good enough, I don't want to make fun of somebody's religion, but you come back as a cow. And here we are giving away Buffalo Wild Wings gift cards at the end of service, okay? Listen, guys, even when the focal point of your faith is God, you can still do it wrongly. You can still worship him wrongly. Um, man has long attempted to worship God through a variety of sacrifices, ceremonies, rituals, sacraments, even self-harm, and different services. But religion, regardless of how zealous you are for your cause, regardless of however sincere you may be, religion can never solve our sin problem. 
And this is true for these reasons. Religion can't satisfy God. It's impossible because religion is always man-made. Relationship is God to us. Religion is us to God. And we think we can make a way. We can build spiritual towers of Babel, but it's impossible. Any attempt at trying for us to be good enough to attain God's holiness is a foolish attempt. Because all of our efforts as human beings apart from God are always tainted by sin. You build a house on a poor foundation, everything else will one day collapse and fall because of what it was built on. We can't build ourselves to heaven based on the sinfulness of our flesh. And so it means that anything we could do to seek to bring God to us or to bring God to ourselves is flawed. It's talking about works. By keeping the law, Old Testament proves that we can't get to God that way. By observing the Sabbath, that means, uh, you know, attending and keeping it sacred and holy. Reading the Bible, living a righteous life, if you could do that. Doing good works, attending church, praying often. It's all erroneous. None of that stuff will make you more godly apart from God being the center of it all. The Bible is abundantly clear. Listen to Isaiah 64, 6. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, like filthy rags. Man, I, I won't even go into what that really means, but it's, it's a pretty atrocious sight. That God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, has said that anything we try to do, to try to do that's good apart from God is as a bloody, messy rag. All of us wither like a leaf, and our wrongdoings, like the wind, take us or blow us away. Listen, religion can't meet God's standard of perfection. Only Jesus can and has. Only our faith in Jesus can let us reach that level of godliness so that we have his righteousness. And so the next thing is religion can never remove sin. I'm sure you've heard the old adage, time heals all wounds. Man, that is, that is actually stupid, okay? Uh, when I hurt, when I've lost friends and family members, time may help me keep going on. Like, I, I'm taking advantage of the distance that's passed between me and them, but the pain is still raw and real. The sting of death, I still feel it. Time has no ability to heal wounds. Time has no ability to bring back our loved ones. Time cannot heal our hearts or deal with pain or restore losses it's incapable it's an inanimate created thing and even time we designate it in days months years guys time can't do that for us i think about my granny ruth who's 89 years old and her brother tommy tom was a pilot in world war ii and he was shot down. Now, there's a, there's a grave marker at the National Cemetery in Fort Smith that we've visited many, many times. There's been pictures that have shown, but I've seen in the last year or two, just talking to my grandma about Uncle Tom, my great Uncle Tom, Thomas Harwell, and seeing her break down and cry because even though it's been how many decades, it still hurts. There's only one that can heal and help your soul deal with loss and death and difficulty, and that is God. God gives us time as a gracious gift, but it's He who does it all. And so religion can't remove sin. 
just like time can't heal your heart, your virtues, get this, guys, your virtues, the good stuff about you, can never cancel out your vices and the bad stuff about you. Your good can never outweigh your bad. Your good works can never remove all your bad works. If you're to get right with God, it only happens by the, it will not happen by the things you think, say, or do apart from Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it best. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no person may ever boast. You can't manufacture or muster up grace and faith. The free redemptive gift of God we call salvation is not a reward for the good things that you've done. You, you don't say, look at my mountain and look at your molehill. I'm higher to God. I'm better than you. God's going to take me and he's going to leave you behind. It's not a reward because it's not a race. All the junk that you've built on life, all the cars and accolades and accomplishments and trophies and stuff stays here and it will burn one day. None of us, not even the best of us, could ever boast that we made our salvation happen. No religious efforts, no religious experiences, no christening, no confirmation, no baptism, no holy communion, no membership into the church apart from salvation, no gift-giving, no amount of money, of prayers, no sacrifice, time, talent, or effort of your own could cancel out a single one of my sins or your sins. It is only Jesus and his redemptive blood, his life given on our behalf that can offer any of that before the Lord. Only God can do it, and he chooses to do it through our faith in his son Jesus. This is the last part. Religion can never change our sinful nature. You know, I read often the New Living Translation um, of the Bible when I'm studying for sermons or, or different personal study, and I love the way the NLT puts Jeremiah 13, 23. Can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Can a leopard take away its spots? Neither can you start doing good, for you have always done evil. That's not talking about the exterior stuff. That's talking about the interior, the nature. And guys, we're born with a sin nature. You can't scrub it away. There's nothing you can do externally that will fix the internal. The internal is fixed one way. God through Jesus, removes your sin. He, he, he makes a new person out of the old. He covers you with his righteousness, and he seals you with his Holy Spirit. It's pretty amazing. A person's behavior is not the main problem. The behavior is a symptom of a deeper, bigger problem. Here's the deal. If I have a fever, the fever is not my problem. You, you know that. We all know that. The fever is saying that there's something externally that I can gauge that there's internally wrong with me. There's an internal issue that has to be fixed if the fever's ever going to go away. And so we say this, and I hope you get this, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. Internally, what's in here? That's what we have to deal with. If we're to stop sinning, if we're to start living righteously, and get, get it, guys, we all continue to sin because uh, our souls are redeemed, but our flesh is so weak. The heart of man's problem is really the problem of man's heart. It's our heart that's the issue. By our very nature, since Adam and Eve, our spiritual lineage, 
Since they brought upon humanity the curse of sin, our hearts are corrupt. We worship the wrong things in the wrong way. And that's everybody. I don't care if your skin is black, brown, white, yellow, red, whatever it is. John Calvin once said that man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. I've heard it misquoted in saying that our hearts are a continual idol factory. We're always trying to make things that... Uh, or create things or imagine things that we can love and give ourselves to. You know, there's a question that arises since it's the heart of our problem. What things are we producing that we worship that aren't God? You know, religion is about worship of self to elevate ourselves to God. Relationship is about worship of God to elevate ourselves. And there's a difference in the way that happens. You know, once we're saved, we are to do good works. But we never do good works to get saved. It, it can't happen. Because the, 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 the mediator there is Jesus. Once Jesus has been accepted, once the Holy Spirit, once the righteousness of God, once the old man has died and the new man has come, and you've taken off this cloak of sin nature then you can do good works that please God. But before then, you can't. And so, what are you worshiping? You know, I know people that worship their kids, man. And I don't mean that in, in the way that you think. But it's, they're living vicariously through their kids, all their money, all their time. They're always out of, of worship. They're never assembling with believers except when it's really convenient and games have been canceled. And, and they're not doing anything, but they're, they're using this idolatry of sports. It's a fitting day. More people are going to worship the Super Bowl today than they will Jesus. More people are going to worship Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes than they will worship Jesus. More people are more concerned and, and, and interested in the outcome of a football game than they are of eternity. And that's the danger of this. I want to watch it. I want to enjoy it. But I know that it's just entertainment. At the end of the day, it doesn't make me better or worse. But I do know that what I do with Jesus Christ will affect me for eternally, one way or the other. Whatever your mind constantly goes to when you have free time to think is usually what you tend to worship. I think that the reason why we, in religion, have a bent towards idols is that idols make us feel good. We want to do what makes us feel good. Uh, John Piper, I won't go into this today, it's a different message, but he has this beautiful idea of Christian hedonism. Now, hedonism by itself is the pursuit of pleasure at all costs. Do what makes you feel good. That's your aim in life. Eat, drink, and be merry. But Christian hedonism is this idea that do what will most satisfy your soul. And what will most satisfy your soul is worshiping God. And there's such a difference because it puts carnal desires down here. And it says to truly be happy, to truly be joyful, it comes through him. And so we, we try to make idols. That's what religion aims for. Is, it's really idolatry. It's to feel good without guilt or shame. Uh, we're completely depraved, though, apart from God. We want to do what brings maximum pleasure. And that's why going to church makes some people feel good. I'm not pointing a finger at anybody, but I want to say this. Whenever we weren't doing right in my family, and I was part of a family growing up that didn't go to church, that had no relationship with Jesus, 
but we knew intimately, innately, that on Christmas and Easter, we're supposed to go to church because those are holy days. And so we didn't ascribe to the beliefs. We didn't not believe in God. We were just good American country people. We were just good folks. And we went to church because we know we were supposed to on those special days. But not a single one in my family was saved. We go to church sometimes to make us feel good. But church can't make you good. Does that make sense? It's Jesus alone. And so you can come to church every Sunday of your life and continually deny Christ, thinking, I'm okay, I'm good, I go to the right place, I'm around the right people, I got the good book. You know, I'll say a prayer every now and then. Every so often I'll throw a five in the offering plate to kind of buy myself a little leniency with the Lord. And literally we believe that. That's okay. That's going to be good enough to get us into heaven. But there is no good enough. Job had it right in Job 14.4. He said, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Who can produce something pure from what is impure? No one. Only God can do that. Only God can change a person's nature. Now guys, I'll tell you this in closing. Some of us some of these religious activities we've talked about are obviously good in themselves. It's right to go to church. Don't stop coming to church because you're like, man, he said, you know, makes me feel good. It better make you feel good if you're a Christian because you're assembled amongst other believers. You're in the presence of the Lord Almighty. You're singing worship and praise to him. You get to uh, partake in the preaching and teaching and breaking of his word. There's fellowship. There's all these great and wonderful things that are happening in church. So be here. But if you're just here because you've got a guilty conscience and it's not really about God, you just want to kind of unburden yourselves and you're missing the real reason. It's right to read the Bible. It's right to pray. God tells us to do these things. But you don't rely on them alone to make you right with God apart from himself. You know, more than anything, what God wants for you is for you to know his son intimately. And the prayer that Jacob prayed was beautiful and perfect. Because that's what God wants. You probably come in here tired, broken down, beat up, anxious, worried, sick, angry, guilty, depressed, whatever it is. We all come in here with that stuff. There ain't a single person in here that's all good and all well but that's part of the reason why we're here because we know he can and where we're gathered in his presence there he is in the midst of us and we get to partake and so that hopefully we leave here feeling and knowing that we worshiped him and he blessed us we met with him and he met with us and that keeps us going on in hope today guys if you don't know this jesus and you're fearful at all, and I mean this at all, that you're not going to spend an eternity in heaven in the presence of the Lord, it is imperative that you pray, respond to the conviction of the Spirit, and accept Jesus today. Because religion can't save you. Hell is real. And now you know what it will take to be saved. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that a single soul in here, Lord Jesus, may experience and surrender to the almighty power of your love. 
that they might come to know your only Son, that they might live out through the Holy Spirit, even today, Lord God, that if anybody even doubts their salvation, that they would come forward because we don't want to miss heaven. We don't want to miss eternity. We don't want to miss spending times with our loved ones and especially you. Lord, you give us chance after chance, and I pray, Lord, that finally one day our mind and our heart will click and we'll take advantage of the chance that's been put before us. Jesus, some of us are Christians. Man, we've fallen back into this religious mindset. And I pray today you'd break our hearts all over again. Maybe we need to repent. Maybe we need to rededicate our lives to the Lord. Some of us, Lord Jesus, have trusted you as Savior, but we've never gone into that most important first step of baptism to really proclaim that I'm yours and you're mine. God, some of us may be sitting here today and we're like, man, I'm really trying to figure out if the good stuff I've done is good enough. I pray, Lord, if somebody is struggling with that right now, that you would cause them to bend their knee to you. God, it's the day to be saved. Now is the time. It's the day for us to live for you, to worship you in relationship, in spirit and in truth and in freedom. And God, that if we have a loved one and we're sitting here burning within to share this with somebody that we love, that we would get off of our tails, Lord, that we would get out there and share it with them, that we'd pray for them, that we'd do everything we can, that we'd be like the friends of the paralytic that lifted up his mat and brought them, brought him to your presence, that we wouldn't take no for an answer because we know what eternity holds. And we want everybody, Lord, to come to know Jesus as Savior. And Lord, it's not something magical, not something unbelievable, not something that we can't get because you know us, Lord. We're the sheep that so desperately need a shepherd. And you said that if whoever would call upon the name of Jesus would be saved. Whoever would believe by faith would be saved. None of my own efforts, none of my external stuff. I'm not too dirty and I can't be too clean. I've not done enough bad, and I'll never do enough good apart from Jesus. And so today, Lord, we fall before you and we pray. Convict us, lead us, heal us, take away our fear, our anxiety, our worry, our shame, our guilt. And Lord, just bring us to yourself. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ.